0: Hey photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and really I'm just here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That certainly means helping you improve your photographic skills and enabling you to become a stronger business owner, but it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We are sponsored by photographersedit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, And milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for a brand new Boca podcast episode and a return guest. A lot of times I say brand new guest because it's uh, not very often, Samantha, that we have returning guests Thank you for being one of those and coming back to hang out with us.
1: No problem. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me again.
0: Well, we were talking about this before we started recording. Uh, you were actually on the the Boca podcast back in episode 52, um, <laughs> at, at which point I was still trying to get my feet under me and make sense of you know, everything from technology to, to interview format to uh, who knows what else. But It's been a bit of a journey. That's about 400 episodes ago. And uh, I'm excited (laughs) that you get to come back. And maybe I even get to redeem myself a little bit in my interviewing skills um, back in episode 52. But we will uh, link to that episode for anybody listening in. And you can get to know Samantha a little bit. But, you know, it's kind of cool, Samantha. I was looking, I was prepping for our, our conversation. And I noticed looking back at the old interview outline. Um, that we really like, we can actually do a complete interview. A lot of times, when I have return guests, I've asked them some of the questions previously. And so I'll just say, go listen to the old episode. In this case, we have mm-hmm. a- enough new questions that we're going to go through the whole list of them. And uh, I'm kind of excited about that. In fact, I want to go ahead and jump in because I'm on the homepage of your website. And for everybody listening in, you're going to want to go to Samantha Clark, C L A R K E.com. Um, You have one of the best uh, examples of how to place a clear and distinct brand position on the homepage of your website above the fold (laughs) where nobody's going to miss it. Um, Will you share what that brand position statement is with all of our listeners?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, So I have my statement being modern photography for stylish people.
0: Okay. And, and first of all, again, just beautifully done as far as the placement, it, the images don't hide the text. That's something that can happen because you actually have it on a, a small white box a white background. So it stands out very brief, also brilliant because we all know people aren't paying attention to a lot of text these days. So modern photography for stylish people, all of five words that communicates a pretty clear idea. What does modern photography, what does that word modern mean to you?
1: Well, I am pretty much driven by the way emotions are portrayed on camera. And I find that traditional styles of photography don't necessarily convey a lot of uh, emotion. So a more modern approach would be to try to get people to just be themselves. Um, I know a lot of people use the word candid or you know, emotion filled or that type of thing. But I decided to use modern and try to just keep it as simple as possible. And just allow people to recognize that my style of photography is not necessarily traditional. And so I usually try to explain that to people. Once we get on a call, or we have a meeting, I tried to sort of explain my approach to capturing a wedding or a branding session
0: okay and it's an interesting word to use too, because it's it's a word that doesn't age right like ten years from now, you right. could have modern <laughs> photography on there, and it would be in keeping with the times because whatever I guess the trend is or the style, the fashion of photography or clothing or otherwise at that time, you can let that be reflected in the imagery that you're displaying for your brand, which is kind of an interesting concept. the word modern i don 't think it's been used as as readily in recent years. I know that back. When uh, actually, when I started shooting weddings, and the the kind of shift from traditional, as you're talking about, that traditional wedding photography stiff, staring at the camera. Uh, And of course, back in the film base shot in a medium format camera. And it was, it it just wasn't particularly inviting from an emotional standpoint. Um, There was a shift toward this more photojournalistic style of photography. And uh, I've talked about this before in the podcast. It's funny to think about, I think, I think the phrase that we use for our business at the time, because we were in Chattanooga, Tennessee, in this traditional market, shooting a photojournalistic style, lots of black and white imagery. And we called it contemporary wedding photography, Mm -hmm. which like looking back on it it sounds hilarious. But I think this is interesting in that the word's not really used that much anymore. So you're using a word that's relatively unique. It's something that will always be up to date. And then stylish people, how do you communicate that idea more effectively to your clients when you have conversations with them?
1: Well, I definitely try to be involved in what they choose to wear and also where they choose to have their photo session. I feel like style is very personal. And I do kind of encourage people to express themselves, whether that be to wear bright colors or to uh, wear accessories, hats, like just being themselves as much as possible. I try to sort of uh, convey a sense of, you know, Because I I believe style is an expression of who you are. So I do encourage people to think outside the box. Okay. Stay away from like white t-shirts and jeans if you're doing a family session. Um, I try to encourage pops of color, maybe favorite colors. I I try to just encourage people to be themselves and be comfortable while still trying to be uh, or to look and feel their best at the end of the day. That's really what I want people to to do. I like fashion too. And I, I wish <laughs> I could have been a fashion photographer. So I do feel oh, like really, so absolutely. Okay. I, I, I love fashion. And so sometimes my clients are super on the fashionable side in terms of being a little more, what's the word, maybe a little flashy, but just sort of, you know, feeling, I don't know how to explain it. I guess like getting on the trends a little bit more sure. and just and to be a little more fashion forward. So I love, I love that. Like, it kind of like inspires me to just try different things with my photography when I see people wearing red bottoms or, you know, sometimes guys love to wear interesting suits yes. nowadays. And I love that. I think it's so fun. And you may not, you may look back at the photo 10 years later and be like, what was I thinking? But I do still like the idea of just, you know, being as creative as you can with your style sometimes.
0: Yeah. I'm actually looking at a post of yours on Instagram. So everybody listening in, you're going to want to follow along. If you go to Instagram, it's Samantha Clark, just like it sounds. Uh, and November, I think it's November 5th. Uh, there's a photograph of a groom with just a killer killer jacket on. Um, I actually noticed it on the homepage of your website. And then I just found this Instagram post, uh, talk about yeah. style. It's Absolutely incredible. So everybody go to that. maybe we can even link to it in the show notes or post it in the show notes as well. Um, but that's that's an awesome picture, and that seems to exemplify what you're talking about.
1: Absolutely. And I do feel like sometimes the grooms don't get to express themselves as much. Um, you know, sometimes the black tie trend is sort of expected of guys. and so I love seeing when guys get to be a little bit more trendy uh, and express themselves through their style. So yeah, I I love that picture. It's one of my favorites.
0: All right. So let me switch gears and and talk about, I mean, you know, if you're going to interact with a client on a shoot and get a picture like that, I mean, that that groom looks super comfortable. A lot about Mm -hmm. helping clients feel comfortable translates then, of course, to their overall experience with your brand. And I'm curious if there's something that you have learned to do that has made a big difference and helping your clients have just a a killer experience?
1: I try my best to understand what's important to them ahead of time. So even before attending the photo shoot, I try to do a few meetings, talk to my couples and my clients and just understand who they are and also try to give them a picture of what it's like to work with me so that on the day of, People feel less pressure. They feel more like they're working with someone they know. And they tend to uh, open up a little bit more in terms of how they pose or how they stand, what they do. And, and that I love seeing that. It usually happens, I would say in the beginning of a photo shoot, people are still pretty tense, but towards the middle to the end, people will start to pose, laugh, like just relax a little bit. And that's when the real magic happens. Yeah,
0: yeah. Just a little bit of time, learning to be comfortable in front of the camera. Is there something that you say to them during a shoot that helps set them at ease that doesn't feel like it's borrowed from some cheesy playbook? Like, you know, I, I hear photographers will will mention these various lines that they'll use with their clients. And I mean, I guess if it works, it works in the end. But how do you, what, what's the conversation that you have with them that helps set them at ease?
1: Well, I I start with a compliment. I, I'm always complimenting people. Mm. I actually genuinely mean it. Uh, I really, I I like the people that I work with to begin with. And I like, I can see, I think it's just my personality. I tend to find things that are positive and that are great about a person. So even if it's your shoes, your smile, your eyelashes, you know, your eyebrows, your hair, anything, I'll find something and even if it's what they're wearing, oh, I love that. Is that, is that velvet? Is that, what is that? Where did you get it from? Um, you got to send me that person's Instagram page. Like I try to just find out more about what it is, how they put their outfit together, who they're, if they're wearing a, a, a local person or a, a designer something like that. I want to know more about it. And it just, it validates them and makes them feel like they made a good choice for what to wear to their photo shoot. And it sets them at ease because they know that I approve, so to speak.
0: You know, I, I love that you specify that you actually mean what you say. And we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, but I feel like it, when I have guests on the show, whether I compliment them on air or I do so after the fact, I feel like I have to qualify my statements, my compliments, emphasizing mm-hmm. the fact that I actually mean what I say, that I'm not just feeding them a line because mm-hmm. people are so used to being fed a line. Just for the Absolutely. sake of, you know, out of somebody just trying to be polite or trying to get something that they want or whatever the reasoning, it feels like people are so used to being fed a line that the notion that somebody would actually mean something, even a simple compliment like, oh, I love the color of your your glasses or I love that sweater. It looks really great. Whatever it is, that it's it's hard to buy that somebody actually means it. But I think it comes across in, especially if you're interacting with them in person and then and the look in your eyes the expression the tone of your voice um, and people can really feel when you mean what you say
1: absolutely that's been my experience and people tend to they like they like being encouraged in that way yeah. and so they sort of it's like you you build that rapport with them right right off the bat so i i love to do that as often as I can, and even throughout the the session, I try to continue with those positive reinforcements. Um, if it's you know how you know a woman looks with her heels on, oh, your legs look really great. Like, stay like that. Your legs look amazing. Or, you know, your waist looks snatched. You look so good. Like, I try to just encourage people. I, yeah. I try to be like a cheerleader to them throughout. The session and uh, it usually goes a long way. It makes them laugh, it makes them feel great about themselves, and after the session, they're just on cloud nine. And that's what I hope everyone walks away with after a session with
0: me. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how that makes a difference, and maybe maybe I have taken this this topic to heart because it means a lot to me when I get a real compliment. It, I've, it's not that mm-hmm. I've never been complimented in my life, but it doesn't happen super often, and mm-hmm. and. I, it's hard not to at least question motive at times too, you know? So, I mean, I, I was actually just at the gym the other day. I was sitting in the sauna and, um, this guy came in who I've seen come in to the sauna on a regular basis, uh, on and off anyway for the last, say probably three or four months. And he comes in and he does these exercises there in the sauna and then he leaves. And i would never had conversation with him before, but he popped in this time and I noticed that he had lost some weight. And obviously he's there at the gym because he wants to get fit. And so I just, I've I mean, never talked to this person before, but I just very simply said, hey, it looks like you, you're cutting weight. Look, you're doing a great job. It's just something really simple like that. I've mm-hmm. never talked to this person before. And they looked up at me and this, the most wonderful kind of smile just kind of spread across their face. They were surprised, obviously. They didn't expect a compliment. This person, <laughs> they don't know to say something to them uh, for no other reason than you know, just ultimately to be kind. Um, But it was just the coolest expression and a great reminder that people really, it, it makes an amazing difference in somebody's day in life. And in this context, the experience that they have with you as a photographer, when you're willing to genuinely compliment. And some of you listening in may say, well, that's obvious. Of course, you want to mean it when you say it. But I don't get the sense that that's always the case. It's easy for us as photographers, especially if we shoot a lot, to just kind of robotically repeat phrases and lines. And, um, and, and not actually put some feeling and emotion into it. I promise just making that little bit of effort to do that will, will go a long way. So anyway, I just, I love that you highlight that, Samantha. Thanks for taking us there. Um, And speaking of taking us there, let's go a different direction. Let's talk about time, time management. I know that you were were talking to me actually earlier about your husband. How do you balance family life? And I say balance loosely because I know it's different for everybody, but family life and running a business and still having a bit of time for yourself as an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah. So I try to keep it fairly simple. I have a a to-do list and I try to make it through the top three things that are like must use for that day fairly early on in the day. Okay, And I do also try to use um, out of office notifications so that if I am unavailable for, you know, whether it be for personal reasons, if I'm spending time with family or friends, or if I'm away at a, at a session or wedding, I try to let my, you know, people who are reaching out, I try to let them know that I'm away and won't be available for set amount of time. So but that really helps with managing.
0: Okay. So there's two things I'm thinking. And first of all, I love that you said three, like three things that you want to focus on each day. Yes. yes. Yeah. So
1: I, I mean, three, it could be, <laughs> it could be less, but okay. it's around three, I would say.
0: Yeah. Well, there's something to be said for it, and I love this. The reason it resonates and I get excited is because I have a kind of a similar thought process or, or goal in the end. Anyway, is to have those kind of priority, proactive tasks. It's something that I've talked about quite a bit here on the podcast. To to finish off, it, it, of course, doing that consistently. It's so easy to get buried underneath a list of a long list of things because I keep adding other things. Um, <laughs> so I, I want to be more like you, Samantha. But I love this idea of having three things to focus on. That if you accomplish uh then you know that you've you've moved your your business forward in that day, even if a little bit. Um, how do you end up choosing those things? Cause I'm sure there is similar to my experience, you have a, a lot of things you could choose from. How do you decide those top two, three, four, five things?
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely something that I try to identify the day before. So if when I'm finishing up for the day, I try to think, okay, what what am I carrying over to the next day? Or what's somewhat urgent, super important? And then the things that are maybe not necessarily urgent but need some attention. Emails, for example, are always important to try and get to as, as much as or as quickly as possible possible, I should say. But the other things I tend to choose based on what my goals are for the month. Like if I have a goal to Depending, like say for example, I wanted to have some blogs done or some social media posts ready to go. Yeah. Try to factor in, okay, let me work on that for a little bit and then try to push, push the other things that may not be as important to the, the following day. Um, so it really depends what's happening in that week or at that time. Wedding season is a little different when things are a little bit more hectic. I kind of prioritize you know, getting things done based on deadlines. Otherwise, I'm a little bit more uh, goal oriented and just thinking about trying to get things done based on where I'm trying to get to by the end of that month or by the end of the year.
0: Yes. Yeah. I like the idea of setting monthly goals. It's actually something new um, that I'm going to begin doing. In fact, of course, this is the end of the month where we're recording right now, end of November. Mm -hmm. And um, so we're going to, of course, starting tomorrow, I have this fresh month. And what I want to do on a personal level, at the very least on a a business level, but, but ideally on a personal level, too, is just set a few goals for the month, something specific, tangible, and that I'm using on a daily, maybe every other day. I'm using those things as a point of reference that drive my activities. The very thing that you're talking about, I think that's such a great idea because otherwise, again, as business owners, it's easy. I mean, there's a million different things we could do. And there's, there are always things that we can add to the list easily. If we just, you know, go spend a little bit of time on social media or hear about the latest lens or the camera or this thing or that, but there's Mm -hmm. just all these different things to choose from. But if we have a clear set of goals in mind for the bigger picture and then for the near future month long goals, then that drives, it helps drive what we do on a day-to-day basis, helps us be more efficient. And then do the thing that you also referenced, Samantha, which is to take time off. You said that you kind of manage expectations with these away messages. Does that enable you then to just completely turn off email notifications and that type of thing so you can actually take a break, truly take a break?
1: Well, that's (laughs) that's the theory. I think (laughs) sometimes I'd still want to check in,
0: Yeah, um,
1: but I've been learning to especially over, you know, the holidays, I've been trying to really focus on what's important. And that for me is spending time with the people I love. And if I'm, I notice for me, if I check an email, it's hard for me to ignore it. It's hard for me to just continue on. Like I didn't just read an email that maybe wasn't, you know, something I I needed to get done and I didn't do or, um, you know, something that maybe I can fix right away. So I do try to leave it alone and I, I've turned off notifications on my phone. So I don't necessarily check into my email unless I'm, you know, getting ready for for that task for, for my workday. So I definitely have to be, I noticed that I have to be more intentional with that. And so I, I remove the notifications and I try to be more focused when I'm with family. So that way I don't get uh, those notifications or I don't just check into my email without being ready to respond in that moment.
0: And we have a lot of things to manage as business owners. So of course, one of the things that we talk about, especially with relation to time management here on the podcast is outsourcing, delegating. And I'm going to keep doing so. I know some listening and you might be like, man, he always talks about this. And yes, it's very intentional. Um, And and not just simply because I own an editing business, but because I realize the significance of delegation. If we're going to, number one, scale our business, grow it uh, without overwhelming ourselves, but then ultimately have a life in the process. So I'm curious, Samantha, has delegation, outsourcing of any kind, is that something you've experimented with? And if so, what's that been like?
1: Yes, I have. And I know that you did not, (laughs) you probably don't know this, but I use photographers edit. So I definitely outsource my editing. It's been a huge help to me to have, you know, that part of my job taken care of uh, quickly, more quickly than I can do it. And I also outsource my album design, which is something that I personally don't love to do as much. I know that it's super important and album sales really help my business. But the design process is not my favorite thing to do, especially sometimes if you have to do rounds of edits on the album design. So I typically, well, I I always outsource that. And as far as, you know, financials, I also outsource my taxes and get help with that as well.
0: Well, I I do appreciate the very very kind shout out for photographers at it. It was, it was <laughs> definitely unexpected. I, I really appreciate that, Samantha. But um, you mentioned album design, and it's you know interestingly enough, this is not something that has come up a whole lot with regards to this topic of delegation on the podcast. Is there a particular company that you would recommend? Somebody you've worked with that you've had a good experience with?
1: Uh, I actually use one of my second shooters to help me with that aspect. Um, so it's just another photographer that I have a great re- relationship with cool. who loves, loves album designing. So I was happy to give that work out and I've seen it sort of help me with just getting the albums done a lot quicker and it's just so much easier now.
0: So I, I, I guess we could ask this question as it relates to both editing and the album design process. I'm curious... Uh, when it comes to delegation, I, I've realized more very personally and uh, working with my team uh, and, and for that matter, in personal relationships, the continued importance um, for me in working on my skills as a communicator. In fact, we're going to talk about books here in just a second, and, and I'm actually reading a book right now about being a better conversationalist. I've got yet another one on top of that in the queue. I just finished one not too long ago. Um, I want to be a better communicator on all fronts. When it comes to delegating something as personal as your editing, your image editing, or your album design, it can be a bit of a challenge communicating what it is that you want to someone else in a way that makes sense to them so that then they're able to do what it is that you're looking for. Is there anything in particular about that communication process that you have found helpful in delegating?
1: I definitely feel like it's important to give a framework that you want to be followed because that framework is personal to my preferences as a creative. And so when it comes to editing, I have a certain style that I like to stay within. I typically will, you know, with the album design, I'll typically give sort of like examples of albums I've done in the past to sort of guide The style of album that I would want to be done for for my clients so it that helps a lot the communication ahead of time so that there's no letdowns or you know I, I don't want my time to be wasted and I wouldn't want the person or the organization I'm working with to feel like they're letting me down so it helps a lot to just communicate that beforehand
0: and you mentioned an interesting word uh, that yet again has not been referenced here in the podcast much if, if at all really, and that's the word framework. Uh, mm-hmm. I like that as a mental picture too this this kind of structure of ideas that represent, as you pointed it out, your editing style or your album design style.
1: Mm-hmm. How
0: did you come up with that framework in the first place because I think that's part of the challenge for for people when they're trying to communicate an idea or ultimately a task to someone else, whether it's me working with my team, or it's you sending your images to Photographer's Edit, or to your uh, design partner, how to effectively communicate what it is that you want. I mean, it requires being clear about what you want to begin with, right? So that framework is your editing style. Is there a particular way that you found effective in communicating that, or establishing, I guess, that framework to begin with, so it made it easier to communicate?
1: Yeah, so I I typically am Writing things down in terms of what's really important to me um as a as a business as a person okay what I value you know all of these things are important i for example, I value uh diversity, I value family and so, I mean, it doesn't seem like it would necessarily be important when it comes to editing, but one example of something that I feel really I guess passionate about is family photos. I I I don't want family photos to ever be in black and white. And this is just something that I feel like is something that's just it's that's just how I feel. <laughs> it's okay. important to me. Yeah. I don't family photos to be in black and white. I want everyone's outfits. I want everyone's hair color. I, I want that to be remembered as it was that day. Yeah. This is in terms of a, of a wedding, of course. So I have that as, you know, sort of like a non negotiable thing when it comes to my editing. And that's always in my, my comments when I'm, you know, submitting work to photographers edit. And it's just something that I, I, feel is important to me. So that framework, whatever it may be, it's important to think ahead of time about what the must-haves are or what the you know must-do's or must-not, you know, do's and don'ts. Like what are those do's and don'ts that are important to you? Just kind of write them down and that's what I've done. And it's really helped. It, It helps with guiding how I operate my business on a daily basis and how People who are helping me, who are who I'm delegating work to, they know we always do X, Y, Z. That's just, that's how we operate. And uh, everything else I can be flexible on, you know, but some things are just really important to to me and to my clients.
0: I like that. I like the differentiation between the non-negotiables and the negotiables, not being absolute about everything, but being clear about the things that you are absolute about. Um, I think right. that's really great, because it's interesting, and, and not to belabor this, this point of conversation too long, but just to give context, and I hope be helpful to our listeners, and of course, working with thousands of photographers over the years at Photographer's Edit, the, the amount of communication that we've seen um, has been quite enlightening, to say the least. And of course, one of the things that we realize is that a lot of photographers aren't very clear about what it is that they're looking for sometimes they'll mm-hmm. literally come to us and say, Hey, you guys are pros. I know you're going to do a great job. Just do it just to figure something out. Can you even suggest the style or can you make a new style? I mean, oh. they want to give us a lot of control. Other photographers, mm-hmm. I think they have an eye kind of an image in their head, but they don't quite know how to communicate that image. Um, mm-hmm. and then there may be some, the others are kind of sprinkled in between those, those ideas. Uh, so ultimately if if there's a question for those of you listening in if you're getting ready to delegate anything editing album design, you know email management, whatever it is, do exactly what Samantha' is just talking about and come up with your list of non-negotiables the absolute things that you must see or must not see or hear or read or you know whatever the context of course, um, but come up with that list that's a great great place to start and I would just add to that with those non-negotiables, make sure that you're very specific, very, very clear. Because um, as I've said, even here, I think on the podcast before, a photographer can say, I like warm white balance. And that means a million different things to a million different photographers. Uh, mm-hmm. visually, of course. And so learning to be super specific in the communication in a way that helps that person on the other side who may not have any context understand exactly what it is you're talking about is really, really helpful as well. I love that though, Samantha. I think, again, something that I don't know that I've heard described quite that way in the podcast before in almost 500 episodes, decide what your non-negotiables are. That's a great starting place.
1: Thank you. Uh, you know, I would say I didn't start out that way. Um, <laughs> I sort of you know it's been over 10 years and after a while you start to realize the things that really matter to people and yeah. to you but even if you don't have 10 years i feel like you can sort of sit down and just think about it like think about the things that matter most to you and that list can always be tweaked and changed as you grow and as you get more experience in the, in your industry
0: let's let's change gears again let's talk about an impactful business book or a self help book, maybe even a podcast, something that has been super, either educational, inspirational, maybe both, in the last few years. What's what's something that comes to mind?
1: Well, i I believe this one has been mentioned. It's Story Brand. Um, yes, I love this book. It's so uh, practical. Like you can you can apply what you've learned from that book immediately in your business. And it just helps, it helped me quite a bit with how my website looks now. And even with how I, like my framework, like we were just talking about, it's even helped me sort of Frame what I'm doing a bit better with my brand and with my business
0: what would you say just take give us one specific takeaway from that book because it really is super powerful uber practical and I know those of you listening and if you're regular listeners you've heard me rave about this book over and over again but Mm -hmm. it is definitely one of the best business books I've ever read and largely because so much of it is so usable first of all it's just easy to understand easy to consume and then it's so practical applicable what's one big takeaway from that book that you've applied to your business Samantha
1: so in terms of how my website looks right now and, yeah. and future future designs of my website, I will always have um, at the top of the fold, like we just talked about in the beginning, I'll have my, my brand statement. And the brand statement is sort of, as we mentioned earlier, it's just that really simple and unique explanation of what you do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then I also have the button it's like the contact us or book now button yes up there and it's supposed to according to the book it's supposed to be something that people can get to very easily that stands out and so I made sure to add that to my website and now it's interesting whenever I visit websites and I see a similar design I'm I imagine that they somehow are aware of this book. I'm like, oh, <laughs> because these things sort of, you know, they're there and they're, they have a bright button, contact us or book now. And they have that statement at the top. And then the, the websites that I see that don't have it, I'm kind of like, I feel sad for them. I'm like, oh mm. no, this is not good. <laughs> you have three seconds to make an impact yes. when someone's your website. And it, how, how are you going to do that if you don't? Use your words. And I know as photographers, we are tempted to just have pictures appear immediately when you log in or when someone visits your website. But the pictures sometimes are not enough to convey exactly what's important to you and what you do as a photographer that's unique in your market.
0: You're so right, though. I mean, three seconds. We have such a short attention span. We have lots of things going on. We're endlessly scrolling and consuming digital content. And so we have to think about that from the standpoint of our potential client. They land on our site. We immediately need to tell them what it is that we do differently than any of the other photographers that they're going to go visit. And then we need to give them a call to action. You mentioned that contact us or book us button. You've got a contact us button there. Uh, by the way, for everybody listening in too, take a look at Samantha's mobile site because the position statement and call to action are above the fold there as well. Super important. Some photographers, it might be that might be the case on their their desktop site, if you will. But if you go to the mobile site, it gets lost. So you have to make sure the mm-hmm. formatting is such that, that those important elements remain above the fold for any format that a potential client might look at. But- uh, they, they land on their, on your site. They want to know why you're different or why they should even pay attention. And then they want to know what to do next. And so giving them that call to action in this case, contact us is what Samantha has done. And, uh, yeah, that's a massive takeaway. We're going to link to that book, building a story brand by Donald Miller in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Uh, I think it's actually on if, if, for those of you listening in, if you go to dot bookshelf.com, Haley has put together A really cool collection of our most popular books here on the podcast. And I think it's one of them, one of the books there on that list as well. So make sure you check it out if you haven't read it or listened to it. Let's jump into the main topic though. And we're going to kind of throw our listeners a curveball, Samantha, for anybody who doesn't really know you, um, (laughs) you're actually an attorney as well. You're a photographer, an established photographer. Uh, but you have your background in law as well. Can you just talk to us a little bit about that background, just if it give context to this conversation we're going to delve into about contracts?
1: Yeah, so I am. Uh, so I graduated from law school and passed the bar in 2014. I believe <laughs> it's been a while, <laughs>
0: um,
1: and I I practiced law for quite a bit, about three years. And I specialized in employment law. And I also sort of, at the same time, while I went to law school, and, uh, you know, practiced law, I was still running my photography business as sort of like a side, a side business. Okay. And my side business turned into my main business when, you know, things just really took off. And I decided that, I wanted to pursue photography full time so that I could do more traveling. I was re- I was getting a lot of international opportunities, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to turn them down anymore because I had to work. Mm. You know, in the, the legal setting. Mm-hmm. So I did. I decided to leave, and my legal experience has informed a lot of how I do my business now. So, I mean, when I look back, I would say that you know, I don't regret it at all. I feel very well equipped for various situations because of that background. And yeah, that that's pretty much it in a nutshell.
0: Well, I wanted to give that context because what I'm going to ask you next has to do with contracts and yes, you know, twenty twenty, needless to say, has has been a tough year on multiple levels, and it's certainly been a reminder of how we have to protect ourselves as photography business owners. So, I'm yeah. wondering um, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners. And you actually told me before, and you've got four different elements. We're going to talk about missing elements yeah. from photographers' contracts. You said you have four to share with us, and I want to get into these in, and yeah. in a good bit of detail to maybe help photographers kind of get themselves in a place where um, they're better protected in case they ever run into a situation like COVID in the future. So will you share those with us?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I'll start by saying that I am a lawyer, but I'm not any of the listeners (laughs) lawyers. So I have to be clear about that. Thank you. Um, Definitely. If any, you know, situation arises for any of the listeners, it's so important to contact a lawyer in your jurisdiction to get very specific information for their matters.
0: Perfect. Um, Thanks for the disclaimer. I'll start with that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just to be, you know, safe. Yes, Um, that's great. But uh, so I'll start off with one that is pretty important and it's called the force majeure clause. And I know a lot of photographers may have it, or they have an act of God clause, um, but basically, a force majeure clause is something that is uh, an act of superior strength. That's sort of the the definition of it. Okay. And
0: how do you spell it, that, by the way? Yeah. So
1: it's force f o r c e. Okay. And then major is m a j. E U R E, so it's like a French interesting measure type okay. of
0: <laughs> yeah
1: um, spelling. But it basically just comes from the idea of things like a type of event that may happen. For example, acts of God, natural disasters. You know, earthquakes, for example, hurricanes, things that are completely outside of anyone's control. Um, and nowadays, it may even include the pandemic, um, and other events such as war, you know, civil unrest, government orders, these types of events are things that can occur that causes either one party or both parties, they are somehow unable to fulfill the commitments that they made within the agreement. And it has to be things that are just unpredictable or really just impossible and the force majeure clause just allows you as the photographer or you know the vendor the person offering a service to you know no longer be held to the terms of the agreement okay. anymore and it, i think it's super important to have that clause in uh, any any service agreement but especially photographer agreement
0: yeah. I mean, and as we said already, of course, in the context of COVID, facing a situation like COVID where um, you obviously are putting potentially putting yourself, others, maybe both in danger if you are to go out in public and, and fulfill that service. So you're in a bind, you can't actually follow through on the contract or at least follow through on the service as you had stated in the contract. And so this covers you in that particular type of circumstance.
1: Absolutely. And one thing that I think is important is to, if your contract already has a force majeure clause, you may need to update it to include an epidemic or a pandemic. Because mm. I think a lot of never thought that, you know, something as catastrophic as a pandemic would have happened. Yeah. Um, so I do think it's important to make sure that that's in there. And you also want to make sure that it mentions, you know, how do you... How do you notify the person that this force majeure event has happened? Or, you know, is it in writing? How, how do you notify them? And what are the consequences after that event has occurred? So is it a refund? Is it a canceled canceled services? Or is it a postponed service as a result? Mm. All of these things are sort of important. And I, I recommend getting that legal assistance to make sure that the language is clear and legally binding.
0: Yeah, that's a tough one, too. I, I know that um, probably endless conversations were had around that very thing. When when photographers, for example, their wedding clients, those weddings were canceled or potentially rescheduled, And there was money that had already exchanged hands. The question then becomes, what do I do here? And I have a contract in place, but it's not super specific. So I don't like, do I just be nice and do this? Or should I follow Mm. through on what my contract says right now and do this? But to your point, Samantha, if if that particular scenario isn't covered in the contract, then things can get a little bit muddy, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know I know for a lot of people, it's been extremely tough to navigate the way things have been going when it comes to event photography and wedding photography. A lot of people are experiencing financial hardships, so yeah. it's it's difficult, and I don't think anybody you know planned for it, but this is why it's super important to have a document, a contract in place that sort of just protects you and communicates your expectations to your clients. And um, yeah, th- this definitely reveals why it's so important.
0: Okay, well, let's jump to the next one, then we start with the force, and I'm not gonna even try to act like I know how to pronounce the French version of that word. But <laughs> majeure, uh, <clause. laughs> let's go to the second one. Yeah,
1: so the second one is the safe working environment, clause. Um, A lot of times a safe working environment could just include, you know, not being expected to climb a mountain for fear of injuries and whatnot. But in the case of COVID-19, I would say that the safe working environment means that the client is following all of the guidelines that are mandated by the the state government, Hmm. the government and making sure that people are observing, you know, the the limit of how many people can be present.
0: Interesting. With,
1: with, you know, let's say, for example, it's 50 people uh, maximum, or I know in some places right now, it's 10 people maximum for events such as weddings. I feel like by putting a safe working environment clause in there, you're sort of encouraging your client to understand that your health and the health of the people that you may be contracting with. So in our case, second photographers, you want to protect the health of yourself and your family members, whoever you may be coming home to at the end of the, at the end of the event. So you want to let your clients know that it's important that they provide a safe environment, you know, that could include masks. It could include, you know, any other Things that you find would be important, and it doesn't have to relate to COVID. It could relate to um, just being safe, you know, not trying to do uh, photography on train tracks or you know things that are just risky behavior. You want to make sure people are acting appropriately to protect you as a business, yeah,
0: as a person. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and of course, the context of COVID, um, the concern we you might be a healthy photographer, but then if for some reason you were to pick up COVID and then take that home to a family member who whose health is not that great to begin with and then right. expose them to COVID, that's a concern. That, of course the countless conversations and, and personal experiences certainly that I've had where I've I've been an observance of the so called safety protocols, COVID safety protocols not being followed in various situations, um, I think that's pretty commonplace. So having a clause in the contract that says, hey, if I show up to this event and I'm noticing that you all aren't paying attention to these guidelines and I'm concerned about the safety and well-being of myself and my family and so forth, that you have a, a legal out, if you will. Uh, it's, yes. it, it's, uh, that's something, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't have thought about, but that's super important.
1: Yeah, it's, it's super important and you just want to communicate that it's important. And putting it in writing, having it there in writing lets your client know how you feel about it. And I should also mention that a lot of people don't read contracts thoroughly because they feel like, oh, I'll just sign it. You know, I I don't need to read everything. Mm. Even outside of the document, you should have the conversation with your clients ahead of time and explain to them the certain parts of your contract that are really important or things that they may not necessarily think of um, just, just talk about it, talk about it before you book, talk about it leading up to the wedding, you know? So for me, I, I, I ask my clients, how many guests are you expecting? And I ask them that, ask them that at the beginning before they book. And with COVID-19, I've asked leading up to the wedding again, like, you know, the 30 day mark before the event, I need to know, because if it's, above what is mandated for that that location or that place then i need to let them know that this is not something i feel comfortable with and maybe i shouldn't be the photographer for them if Mm. that's the case that they're or if that's the position that they take for their wedding sure Uh, so the the conversation needs to be had outside of the document the contract but just you know friendly and and let them know how you really feel
0: Okay, so we've got the safe working environment clause is the second. Let's go to the third one.
1: Yeah, so I believe that every contract should have a postponement or a cancellation clause in there that explains how a client can go about rescheduling with you or postponing with you. Um, A lot of contracts have this in there, but in light of COVID-19, it's always... Great to take a look at those clauses in your contract and review what your um, policies are, and it should usually include something that lets your client know the time frame that they have in order to let you know that they'd like to postpone Mm. or you know that they'd like to cancel. Yeah, Um, and you know sometimes it's because of COVID nineteen, but maybe it's also because they broke up in a, in a wedding situation, maybe the couple's no longer getting married. And in those cases, are you going to, you know, refund money or are you going to stick to, you know, non-refundable, you know, not your fees are non-refundable, or are you going to apply credit to their account? A lot of people um, allow for nine 90 days or sometimes 30 days out. If you plan to reschedule or cancel and, some people also say, you know, no, no refunds or maybe the retainer is non-refundable. So uh, you have to determine what works best for your business. And I would say with COVID-19, it's super important to be very reasonable and not like almost like putting yourself in the shoes of your clients and trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, especially when it comes to COVID-19. I know I had a client where the day before her wedding, she found out that things were being shut down. So it was outside of her control. She didn't have 30 days to tell me that she needed to postpone. Yeah. And so in those cases, as a reasonable business owner, although it's, you know, unfortunate to um, have to reschedule. It's the reality of the situation we're in. So I was very flexible in that circumstance to allow that to happen.
0: Would you say that, that part of what needs to be included in this this clause, especially the post-moment portion of this, this clause, is a potential fee structure for those who are rebooking... For the next year? Because I know that photographers, you know, they're they miss out on the 2020 business and mm-hmm. now the potential 2021 business kind of gets pushed aside because these rescheduled weddings are now going to happen in 2021. What does that conversation sound like?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great idea to have a structure for which you expect to be paid. So if you're rescheduling to The following year, most likely you're not going to expect your client to pay according to the same, you know, timeline that you expected them to pay. So I would recommend that in that, you know, uh, and this is actually my next my next uh, (laughs) my next point. I think if you have your clients with a postponed event, I think you should have a new document that sort of adds on to the previous contract. So it would be called the rescheduling addendum. Okay. And, and in that, I think it's important to mention the new dates for which they should be paying you according to the new, uh, you know, the new wedding date or the new event date.
0: Sure. I guess what, maybe I didn't ask the question very well. I, I'm thinking about the potential missed revenue, Um, because Mm -hmm. these, these weddings are now rescheduled for 21, it kind of bumps any potential 2021 business, fresh business, new business, new clients.
1: Oh, right. Right. And you
0: miss out on that revenue because you're still trying to shoot this wedding from last year. Do you charge? I mean, as part of that addendum, do you say, Hey, if you're going to reschedule for a, you know, my busier day, Saturday or Sunday in 2021, um, that's fine, but I'm gonna have to charge an additional $500 or a thousand dollars, uh, in order to make up for lost revenue with new clients.
1: Okay, I see what you're saying. I mean, the beauty of being your own, you know, boss and your own business owner, you get to decide what those policies look like. Mm. And I, I do think that there are times when as business owners, we feel bad about, you know, expecting payment for what we're doing, but we are running businesses. And if it's, you know, something that you need to do to make sure that you can meet your financial obligations as a business owner, then definitely outline that in the, you know, postponement cancellation clause that, you know, any events potentially being rescheduled, maybe you have a timeframe, for example, where it needs to be scheduled within the next six to 12 months. And if it's beyond that, then maybe you can incur or you can add on some additional fee for, you know, for that future event. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's definitely prudent to review what you, what you do as a business owner and see if that, if that's something you need to do, because we have bills too. <laughs> we have bills. And if you need to tack on some additional costs associated with that postponement, definitely put it in writing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ignore that possibility. I would definitely put it in there and make sure you talk about it, not just to put it in the contract, but mm. to talk, and let them know, yep. you know? I I've had couples reschedule twice now and you know, rescheduling once, yeah, you could be reasonable and flexible, but maybe the second time it's it may not be as you may not be as reasonable because you're like, okay, this is sort of hurting Potential business for next year. And if I'm unavailable because I'm working with you, then I'm potentially losing other business. So
0: 100%.
1: I I encourage it. I encourage people to put that in there, talk to your clients. But I would say the the hardest part is that a lot of us are operating on contracts that were signed in 2019
0: Mm.
1: before all of this happened. So it's not like you can just rip up the old contract and say, "Okay, I have a new contract you need to sign unless you're doing a rescheduling addendum, which we can talk about next. But you still have to operate honorably and in good faith and reasonably with your clients, even though we are being hit pretty hard right now with all the postponements that we're experiencing.
0: Well, I think you gave some context to that idea of a rescheduling addendum, but do you have anything to add to that?
1: yeah, absolutely. so the the first thing you should consider if someone does contact you with you know the need to postpone and they're within the postponement and cancellation you know clause that you put there, you would want to have a rescheduling addendum and an addendum just means something that's being added on to your previous contract. And so the previous contract would still stand, but you're just changing the the event date and potentially the payment terms that you have in place to fit with the new date. And by having your client sign that new document, it lets them know that you are transferring their you know, all the payments that they've made to the new date and that you are reserving it in their calendar or in your calendar and turning away other business. So having that in writing and not just an email saying, okay, yeah, I'm good for the new date. No, you need them to sign something to make it clear that this is an official change. You know, there's no going back after this is signed. And that just uh, makes it clear that you've made that change in your calendar.
0: That's great. And you you talked about the idea of covering possibilities earlier. That's that's so much of what contracts are about is covering the possibilities. And also to your earlier point, Samantha, making sure for those of you listening in that you talk to an attorney local to your market in your jurisdiction that can help you write these things out based on the business model that you've created and that you want to run uh, is super important. And I guess to, to that point, Samantha, do you, I know that there are in in the industry photography specific, uh, resources in this realm. Do you recommend a particular one or would, would you just say, Hey, go to your local attorney?
1: Yeah. So there are some great options out there. I have, um, firsthand knowledge of a few that I have here that I'd love to share. Great. Um, The first is LegallySet.com. And it's basically just a great resource for people who need some templates for their photography business. And they have templates outside of just photography. They also have contracts for other types of business owners. And I just feel like when you have a A good solid template it's also great after you get the template to take it to a local lawyer in your area to just make sure that everything is up to par because each state has its own set of laws and expectations and you know you just want to make sure that you are you know covering your bases so i would say start with um a great template. There's also some templates by uh, the Legal Page. Yes, and she's she's extremely knowledgeable. And I I find sometimes you need someone who has experience within your industry. And a lot of lawyers are very good at their area of law. So I think as as lawyers, people think we know every everything. You know, we know criminal law, real estate law, business law, but it's all so different. Yes. What I like about these templates is that they're very much created by lawyers who actually know the, you know, photography um, specific things that may come up. So for us, we have editing, we have albums, we have retainer fees and, and all of these different things Wedding timelines, eating, you know, having a meal at a wedding. Maybe those things are not clear to someone who doesn't work in wedding photography or portrait photography. So the templates are helpful for just, you know, getting those things on the paper. But sometimes you need someone to look at it from the perspective of what's relevant to the jurisdiction that you are in. And so that's why I do recommend sometimes getting the outside legal advice to tweak it potentially to make sure it's it's legally binding in your area.
0: Okay, good. And we've actually had Paige on the podcast a number of times So uh, from the She's legal awesome. page. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so we're going to link to her episodes in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Um, this has been, I, I really, you're, you're such a kind of a calming communicator, Samantha. You're, you're so controlled and, and analytical in the way that you communicate and that you teach. And, and this has been such a great conversation. Uh, and I really appreciate you sharing your perspective as well. And uh, for those of you listening in, you know, maybe you have a basic contract in place. My suggestion, or really Samantha's suggestion and, and her expert suggestion at that um, is to make sure you go update that contract, especially if you haven't done so recently, uh, in light of COVID and in light of just the perspectives that she's shared, kind of making sure that you've got all the so-called possibilities covered. Super, super important as a business owner. The last thing you want is to end up in a tight spot and not really know what to do or what to say. I, I do want to highlight one other thing along this, this line uh, of thought as well, Samantha, that, that I love that you, you pointed out earlier a number of times actually is, not just, um, you know, photographers are kind of amidst COVID kind of freaking out, like, what do I do? How do I handle this situation? Your contract really should answer that question. Uh, but even maybe to add to that, and, and just as important, you should have a conversation about the contract as they're signing. Instead of just handing them a piece of paper, make sure they get that signature, and then you've got them booked. Um, actually talk through those scenarios and those points in the contract so that not only are you on the same page, but I can imagine, Samantha, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this, that you know, in a, in a bind, in a tough situation like COVID, for example, if a photographer had these things that you're talking about in their contract, A, and B, they'd had a conversation with them about those points in a friendly manner, as you also pointed out, then having to call them up and say, hey, um, I, this is such a tough time for everybody. Are you doing okay? if you remember we had this conversation about this thing in, in your contract, can we chat about that a little bit? It's a lot less strenuous a situation than if if there was never a conversation and then suddenly they just get a call and you're like, hey, this contract says this, you need to you know own <laughs> up. Um, mm-hmm. It just seems like that would really create a stressful situation for everybody involved.
1: Yes, absolutely. And even right now with some of the weddings coming up still, you know, people aren't sure if they're going to have their weddings or not. I think it's so important to just reach out to people, you know, if they book you a year in advance, maybe you had the conversation, you know, eight months ago, but you may want to just check in with your clients periodically throughout the relationship leading up to the wedding and just check in and have that conversation again, and maybe even just see how they're doing, this is, I mean, for me, it's part of just offering a stellar service yeah. and being, you know, just being caring and and letting them know that you're not just taking their money without you actually putting some thought into mm. our event. And yep. I, I love being able to check in with people because you kind of learn different things going on. Sometimes there's family family, you know, situations going on that are not fun, or, you know, maybe a a wedding dress is stuck in whatever country you're ordering it from, like you get to hear what's going on with your clients, and they feel like you care about them. And it just it's just a good practice to to have and and I, I will be teaching about how I run, you know, a photography business and all of that's coming out in the new year. So I'm super excited about teaching photographers more about that.
0: How can they, how can they learn a little bit more about that course coming up?
1: Yeah. So I have everything linked in my bio and okay. that's samantha-clark.com slash Instagram. And it's basically just my link in bio on my Instagram page. And I just want to, photographers to start running their businesses, like a boss, and not like a hobbyist or like a part timer. And once you start treating your clients in uh, the best way possible, you start realizing that you can get more clients because they they'll just speak so much more highly of you as a professional. So I will definitely be releasing that most likely by the time this podcast goes live. And it will be linked in the bio of my Instagram page.
0: Cool and yeah, and we'll link to it directly as well from our show notes at Um, Thanks again for hanging out with us and like I said earlier it, you're you're such a great conversationalist. I have when I get excited about conversation, I start to talk faster and maybe say more words <laughs> than I need to and you're just so calm and calculating the way that you communicate. Um, I need I need to take inspiration from that as I continue to work <laughs> on my communication. But um, I really appreciate you making time for all of us today, Samantha. Uh, again, for those of you listening in, we'll put all these talking points, resources, website, Instagram, all of it in the show notes at bokehpodcast.com. Make sure you go check it out and have an absolutely wonderful day.
1: Thanks so much.
0: Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the book of Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at com. Make sure to visit our sponsors, photographersedit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.